thank you, Barry, for coming on today. I really appreciate you being here. And while I've known you for some time, mm-hmm. I would love to introduce you to the audience so that they can get to know a little bit about you. So, you guys, Barry Selby is an inspirational speaker, relationship expert, best-selling author, and spiritual guide. He's, pas- he's a passionate companion for the divine feminine, dedicated to helping strong, successful women create greater balance in their love, life, and business. He's on a mission to awaken women to own and express their feminine magnificence and majesty in love and in the world. He helps his clients attract relationships that equal who they really are. As an expert coach and guide for singles seeking relationship and self-love, Barry is affectionately known as the love doctor to his friends and clients. With over 35 years of training and experience, including a master's degree in spiritual psychology and over 20 years as a professional spiritual counselor, he has helped thousands learn to love themselves and live in wholeness. His number one Best-selling book, 50 Ways to Love Your Lover, helps singles and couples embody powerful principles for passionate and richly rewarding relationships. He brings deep compassion, gentle and calm masculine presence, and a wise guidance to assist his clients in their journey to true love. Wow. Just wow, that sounds pretty amazing. Okay. So while I have known you for several years mm-hmm. from Agape, yes. our spiritual center, let's find out a little bit more about you. So <laughs> tell us about how you came to be doing this type of work. Yeah, because a lot of the stuff that's in my bio you don't know about from at Agape, because it's not what I, what I present there as much. Exactly, you know? exactly. <laughs> well, I've I've been um, a student of life and human development. I mean, I started in my first seminar back in 84. So it's been meant almost 40 years now of being a student of life and of people and studying how people work. Because I had a lot of things I had to figure out for myself about what I didn't know very well. Right. And what I also made plenty of mistakes on. Particularly around the area of dating and relationships. I was by no means a master. <laughs> <laughs> and to, to, to use the broad strokes from when I was a child, um, Growing up in a very stoic and um, reserved, I guess I'd call it, English family. So emotional expression for boys wasn't something provided very easily. It was something that was invited. Mm-hmm. We learned how to stuff things down. And like, you know, it's like, you know, uh, toughen up and, and, uh, and keep it together type thing. It was kind of the way it was raised. Right. So even though I was bullied in high school, I didn't, I didn't sort of emotionally, in a way, sort of, I wouldn't say show weakness, but I wouldn't be vulnerable. You know, I had to tough it out as best I could, as much as I hated it. And also, during my especially high school years, which was a, even when I was being bullied in high school, I was also the safe boy, safe man that the girls could trust. So they cry on my shoulder a lot. Oh, okay. I'd be, I'd be the compassionate. I wouldn't necessarily be the counselor, but I'd be the listener. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they're there, they're there, or be, you know, that sort of thing. I'd be sort of saying, it'd be better soon. It was kind of my, you know, I didn't, I mean, you know, 15, 16, I had no clue about how to be an expert guide. But that, desire that drive to be of service was always in me okay so fast forward through a couple few decades of dysfunctional relationships um 
repeated cycles. And one thing I learned from my master's program was to notice <laughs> when I would recycle patterns in relationships. <laughs> so okay. the second thing happened again and again and again. And I've ha- I've discovered several patterns that I've fixed and then the city, oh, there's another pattern to work through and stuff. So, but the one that started this whole journey into the work I do was a pattern that showed up in three relationships in a row that I do remember specifically. It may have happened to other ones too, but the, these three happened in a row. And the last one of the three um, was actually somebody who I met who also gone through the same master's program I had and also went to Agape. So I figured we're like, we're firing on all cylinders. We're on the same page. It should be great. <laughs> right. I was self the mark. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's put it this way. Because um, when I was growing up, I sort of saw the role of, of boys or men to be the very macho and like running the show and be like in charge, be put very bullyish type energy, which is what I was against that. Right. Or being what I became, which is the nice guy, which is like very passive, but it was safer than trying to be the bully. So mm-hmm. that was the choice I had. So in my relationships, I was played the role of the nice guy because the 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 bully was really the bad boy or the um, masochist. No, excuse me, masochist. The the macho boy, macho right, guy. Right, the kind so of like the aggressor or the yeah, and so, charge person I, have to be in charge of everything. And be, uh, because I really really. I, th- I thought I re- the way I was doing this was effective, but it wasn't. But the way I respected women, which which was important, mm-hmm. was that I wouldn't dare cross, you know, tread on their toes or step over that mark. And I'd already had been burned by taking on toes at a certain point. So I got the feedback, don't cross that line. Okay. So in my adult relationships, I would tend to be the passenger in a way. I wasn't running the show because I didn't want to offend them. And I'd be, I would be the nice guy, which I thought was so heroic. <laughs> 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 I mean, literally... Um, Back in eighty, this is late eighties. I was in a seminar where, we, at the end of the seminar, we got feedback about what people thought about us. We went through, we did feedback at the beginning, which is all the negative stuff, and at the end, we do all the positive feedback at the five days, saying, "This is how I see you now," because we had time to know each other. And one of these guys called me because being English, this is I'd only been in America at this point, like maybe five years, six years, so my accent was even thicker than it is now. Okay. Um, this guy said to me, "Call me a white knight." And I was like, but I was like, oh, I like that idea, you know, being like, you know, nice around table type thing. And he, when we came out after the seminars, it's like been in there five days, we had to walk together into the parking lot. And you saw my car at that time was a white Toyota. Uh-huh. He said, of course, you got a white steed to be a white knight. So I decided to get the license plate on the car that said white knight. Uh-huh. You're abbreviated. Well, the problem with that is that I spent the next, uh, well, how long? I had that car six years. So. It was six years because that that was the story about that too. But anyway, the six years I had that license plate, I would be saving so many damsels in distress being the white knights, you know, again, being the nice guy, trying to take care of them. I mean, I really ex- exacerbated and exaggerated the experience of being the nice guy. Right. So I really got clear it sucked. So fast forward, the last this breakup that happened, it was through 2016, excuse me, 2006. Yeah, 16 years. She, I thought was going to be perfect because again, we had the same background, same studies. But she asked me out. Now, the, the, the signs were so clear, but I ignored every one of them. You know, I, I don't know this personal growth work. I'm so aware, but I was oblivious. She asked me out. She ran the show. She ran the relationship. We had a great time together. Mm-hmm. But I was never taking charge. Again, I was so afraid of that. Right. So finally, she got so fed up with me. We ended up breaking up because she said to me, what she wanted was a man who would take charge. And I was so, I would say, maybe atrophied in that skill set. That'd right. be the passenger. So when we broke up, I was heartbroken, but I figured there was something missing because I knew that there was being a nice guy wasn't working. 
I knew that being the macho guy wasn't working. There must be another choice. Right. But I didn't see what it was. So my my prayer, my request, my my begging to some greater authority, God, whatever it was, was like, show me a sign and give me a clue. What am I missing? So three months later, I met this woman, Kamehameha um, Regapi, funnily enough. And again, 2006, my comfort level talking to beautiful women was minimal. Okay. But she was, she was gorgeous and she was glowing. And I went, okay, I've got to talk to this woman. I don't know what it is, but I have to talk to her. And so, so I went up to her and said something like, um, hi, um, who are you? Where'd you just been? You look like you're glowing. I said something like that. So of course okay. she burst out laughing. That led me to my first experience of what I now know to be my life's work, which was understanding the polarity between masculine, feminine energetics. Okay. What I discovered, even for the introduction, they told me this, and I said, this is that we carry these, we put on these shells of protection to hide who we really are because of life. And so we will flip flop in a way between a more masculine energy and a more feminine energy based on what the required, the circumstance requires. What I realized I've been doing is I've been really developing my feminine energy without really owning the masculine part because I didn't have words for it at the time. Right. Because the nice guy was really more feminine. Right. But the macho guy wasn't masculine. It was different. So when I understand what a masculine man was, and I actually st started embodying that during the first weekend, it was like the circuits all connected. Okay. And I realized that realized to who I was, what I was about, or where I needed to go. Because part of being a masculine man is to have clarity and direction and purpose which up to that point, I had no clue about. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it was actually a pivot point. And so that, so that was 2007. And so for the last 15 years, I've been diving deep into uh, teachers and, and great experts and also teaching and what I've learned myself, plus blending that with my spiritual studies and my psychological studies to become the work I do now. Okay, wow. You know, it's really funny because um, <laughs> when, when you talked about being the white knight and saving the damsel in distress. <laughs> I mm. don't remember the name of the movie, but there's this line from the movie and one man calls the other guy, Captain Save-A-Ho. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't a medieval movie then, was it? <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> but that's kind of, you know, having that whole savior thing, like, and I think women have it too. You find somebody who needs saving and then you make it your mission to save them because you think with saving them, not only does it make you feel good because you're saving somebody, right? you know, but then you've, it's like you've done your job and you fix something that now you want. <laughs> But then yeah, you don't realize exactly. that as you're fixing this person, not really fixing them because they're not truly broken. And in saving them, you're actually doing detriment to yourself and them yeah. at the same time. You know, True. so that, yeah, but that, that, that line just like has always stuck in my head. <laughs> and I think even sometimes when somebody shows up in my life and you know, it's a guy and he looks like, he looks like on the surface, everything's great. And then we start talking and it's like, oh my God, I'm being Captain Savaho. This dude needs help. That's not what I'm here for. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I had to actually put it out into the universe. It's like, okay, universe, here's the deal. I have clients and I have dates. 
The yes. two should never <laughs> intertwine. Agreed, yeah. And this is this is the thing. I mean, I mean, that thing about the car, by the way, the car I had for eight years where I had the license plate. Saving damsels in that saving damsels in distress is a never-ending struggle. Because there are many at that time, at the same as there are many men, but there are many women who won't necessarily stand on their own two feet. Right. Because of the upbringing they had, and I became so invested in helping them, I wasn't taking care of myself. So the same thing is true of what you said, but reversed. So I said, finally, I said the universe, okay, I'm done. I need to get rid of the license plate. Be very careful what you ask for, because <laughs> as soon as they get rid of the license plate, within two weeks my car got stolen. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> With the plate, <laughs> and never seen it again. So, like, so, okay. I, so it would have been better if I actually not said anything out loud, but just simply took the license plates off the car, put regular ones on, put the license plates in the trash or something. It would be much smarter. But I did the overt thing of saying, universe, fix this. It's like, okay, there you go. <laughs> Look it out. Yeah. So the lessons we learn. <laughs> exactly. But sometimes, yeah, I mean, obviously when you're putting things out, you have to put them out and be specific about how, you would like to see them materialize. Yes. Even Absolutely. though, I mean, you can't control everything, but I mean, if you're specific about how you put things out, then you're more likely, I believe, to get what you're looking for or something better. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's, the, <laughs> I've learned the lesson more than one time. So I'm getting better at this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so can you tell me, like, what's, what's the number one issue you see clients coming to you with? Oof. Um, well, the one, the issue they bring, because it's not usually the cause, but it's like the, what they're coming, what they feel they're going on is they can't find the right partner, simplistically put. Okay. But the root cause of that can be more than one thing. So a lot of times what I've discovered from my, my friend, I mean, it's true with friends as well as clients, is that for many people and i'm putting this generally for men and women because not just women deal with this but men as well is that men and women both um they don't necessarily look back at hindsight and check out what happened in the past to right. fix it to move forward, move forward or alternatively they will move into the future looking back only at the past and say i don't want that i don't want that i don't want that so look in the rearview mirror to go you know look where they're going it's not working so right. th same problem but different causes that's all two parts and for me, the biggest piece is that, first of all, for all of us, period, not just women again, is we've got to be willing to unpack and make peace with the past. Right. Whatever that is, so that we can move forward freely. Because if we don't, first, we don't learn from our past, we're going to probably do the same thing again. That's, um, John Satiana has a quote. It's actually about history, about people who fail to lose from the, people who, who fail to learn from the history are doomed to repeat it. Right. That was a quote about countries and politics, but it really works in relationships too, because we don't learn. I've proven, right. I repeat the mistakes again and again and again with different partners. Right. You know, so it's almost different. like you're dating the same person in a different body because the same issues pop up all the time. <laughs> I would say it's almost guaranteed. Partly because frankly, and this is the bigger picture, is that we as adults don't realize what's driving us when it comes to relationships. Mm -hmm. you no, know, we are... Um, <laughs> We're like captains of the ship, not realizing that our rudder doesn't work very well because we're actually being run by something else. What, what I mean by that is that, I don't know where that analogy came from. <laughs> basically, as adults, you know, we, we go from relationship to relationship. But if we really looked at what the, the common threads were, which mm -hmm. I talk about with my clients, because this is my learning, is we look at the common threads. We often kind of times can track back to an experience we had when we were a kid 
because of the way we saw our parents interact. Because in fact, um, Bruce Lipton in the Biology of Belief talks about this, about um, the formative years where we take in the world around us like a sponge. Right. Because when we're born, we don't, I mean, I say, we, you know, when we're born, we don't have user manuals. We don't have a how-to guide. Our parents don't get a book when we're born saying, this is how you raise a child. Right. <laughs> you know. So most of us are, ra are raised by parents who basically do the best they can, but don't know how. Yes. And so we learn what love is by watching what they do. The adults right. around us, usually our parents or caregivers, whoever it is. And that information is getting stored away happily in our subconscious when us being aware of it. Mm -hmm. Excuse me, our unconscious, I have to differentiate, the unconscious mind. That is this wonderful like, warehouse where we store our information and knowledge. But it's not something we're aware of because like, this dark warehouse gets stored away in the back. Mm -hmm. And somewhere around age, I think Bruce Lewis talks about, about age four or five, no, about five or six or thereabouts, mm -hmm. our conscious mind, the frontal cortex comes online. It's like a guardian at the gate saying, okay, now I choose what I want to think and what I believe and nothing shall pass type thing, like a bouncer at a club, you know? <laughs> but the thing is, that warehouse is already full behind us. So right. when we're an adult, we think of making choices consciously. But unfortunately, what's in the warehouse is running the show automatically, like autopilot. Right. And the so it's is almost like a computer then. So you yeah, have your exactly. set of, you have all the programs and they're all running behind the scenes, even when the system shut down, those programs are still running. So when you think that, you know, you're good, those old programs are still running because you haven't erased them yet. <laughs> Basically, yeah. And it's the thing is that, that, you know, the way I describe the difference is people think, well, I, you know, I'm, a con I'm aware of what I'm doing, so I must be in charge. Well, yeah. If you imagine standing in a football field holding a football, that's your conscious mind, the football in front of you. The unconscious mind is the football field you're standing on. So the difference in scale, when you recognize the amount of power the unconscious has, if you're not in alignment with it, mm -hmm. you're going in two different directions. Your conscious mind is thinking you're going this way, because the unconscious mind, which is way more powerful, is taking you somewhere else. Right. And so our relationship choices oftentimes will reflect that. It's true with anything, with money or physical health or any of those things. It's all the wiring we've, we've taken on when we're younger, like computer programming, as you said. So, yeah, big piece of the puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> so then okay if we have all this programming mm -hmm. that we're walking into adulthood with yes and obviously then we have beliefs around what's in there and we have a story running about why things are the way they are yep. so how do you rewrite that story because you have the story running so it's like if you meet somebody, you're you're telling them, well, you know, I can't I can't get ahead because my parents did this, my parents did that, my parents did this, my parents did that, and I can't meet a man because the men are this and the men are that and blah 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 whatever, right? So how do you write a new story and then install new programming so that uh -huh. you can start operating differently? Well, first of all, you have to be aware of what you're telling yourself. That's the first piece. Because we're oftentimes the programs are running along happily and you don't know you even got them running. So you're first got to be aware of like, what am I actually choosing? Like, what am I deciding about? What am I actually getting as a result? Mm -hmm. That first step is key. Because if you don't have that, you've got nothing. So once you first become aware, like, I'm realizing this is not working. I'm getting the same thing again. What is that? So then in this particular instance, because there are other parts of the puzzle too, but I say, okay, so if that's the case, you're experiencing like you're attracting partners that um, are always demeaning to you. Mm -hmm. You know, we're saying negative stuff to you. If you notice, you look back when you were a kid and remember your upbringing as a kid, you may better bring to mind 
if it's not too far down your unconscious, memories of what happened when you're adult, your parents did the same thing to each other or to you. Okay. So, the, so what you're doing is you're mirroring the same experience now as you did back then. Mm-hmm. So when you start recognizing it's not your stuff, first of all, and there's a process I do with my clients that's more about re- rewiring the childhood programming. So the adult wiring changes as well. So it's really sort of awareness and they go back and looking and see where it comes from. And most of the time it's going, that isn't even my choice. So you get to change it. Okay. So I'm glad you brought that up, right? Because I was mm-hmm. going to dive into this maybe like a little bit later, but since you did it, I'm yeah. going to ask you, is there like a process that you take your clients through that maybe we could do like a quickie um, process, you know, something that someone listening could be like, okay, maybe I can try this and, you know, a couple of- do, do a little rewiring here, a little, right. you know, <laughs> rewriting that story. Cause I'm ready for a new story. Cause I want something new. <laughs> right. So what I would suggest for those listening to this or watching this listening um, is to really, if there's something that you're in, where in your life that is um, basically not working the way you want, let's use relationship as the model. That's what I specialize in. Okay. And so that you've noticed that you've been attracting partners, the same thing. And first of all, you've got to be aware of what is the same thing that's happening. Even though it may be a different face, different structure, different body type, different background, but they all did the same thing in a row. Usually it's pretty obvious when you go, let me look at that more clearly without looking through the lens of love, so to speak. Let me be more clinical. Right. First of all, you discover what that is. Like, okay, mm-hmm. so um, I was always getting, my, my partners always would always yell at me and it's not what I want. So then it's like, okay, so let me look back at my own life. Can I remember what happened when I was about five, six years old? Do you remember what my parents were doing when I was younger? Yeah, I remember actually a lot of times my dad would yell at my mom or vice versa. And they keep doing that. And it would really, for me as a kid, it really sucked. So first of all, again, awareness, peace first. Mm-hmm. The second part is, and again, the work of my clients in this, is to really have a conversation with their inner child, that younger self. So, and then again, shortening this down to, to a brief explanation. So have, I have them as an adult, as the, as the client, them mm-hmm. as an adult, be the, the compassionate parent to their own child. Okay. Almost reparenting themselves. And what that does is it changes, the, and I do stuff with parts integration, which is an NLP piece, but it's not, Pure NLP, I've got my own version of it. But basically what I'm doing is I'm reintegrating the components of who they are as a kid into their adulthood. Okay. And so what happens is we change the wiring because we start saying that isn't true. Because the other part is a lot of times we take on beliefs that are inaccurate, but then we believe them because we saw it. You know, what you see is what you believe. Well, reality right. is. Because you have evidence. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's the other way around. So you start believing what you, so you start seeing what you believe. So we change the wiring to a different belief system then what you see changes as you bring it forward. So the simpler way is to go back in time. Yes, it is a bit of a childhood regression, but it's more reparenting and integrating the parts of ourselves back to wholeness again. So is this when you're with your clients and you're, and you're doing this work? So do you kind of do you do it on a guided meditation type of thing? Or do you just have them visualize that they're the adult and they're talking to the their younger self like how does that work for you it depends on the client um some clients if they want to do their own time i i am sometimes doing journaling wise they can write down the different parts of themselves and never just cover discovery that way okay. one of my favorite ways to do it though is with um with with a diet process where they actually have two chairs where they okay. sit where if they're doing it over the, I do it over the phone with them oftentimes too where i actually talk to them over the phone and have them sit where they put a chair in front of them and they sit facing across from each other themselves and they sit in the chair as the adult 
and they put their child, inner child, in the other chair. Mm-hmm. And then they move back and forth between the two chairs, having a dialogue with themselves. Oh, kind of gestalted. <laughs> Basically, yeah. I mean, for me, for me, through master program, I got this blend of both, gestalt and NLP. The thing is, though, what, it's, what it is, it's very empowering because they get to run it. I'm sort of there just giving cues with the, over the phone. Right. But they get to do it. And so what happens is they start to discover their own power because they recognize they can do this anytime they want. You right. know, one teaching okay. them isn't something I have the, the keys to. I'm showing you how to do it. When they do it, they become free, which is awesome. That sounds pretty amazing. So that would be kind of a cool thing to sit and do. And I do know, you know, through working with some of my clients that sometimes people don't remember a lot of their childhood or, you know, because they have tend to block a lot of their childhood. So sometimes there's a lot of work involved to actually get to the point where you can remember that Mm -hmm incident that is the thread that's running through your life at this point so but, in those instances i still do the same process as well as like the, the physical moving into the chairs because there's a certain physiological experience that happens when you shift energetically into another chair and what happens is you create safety because the biggest piece for especially with inner child wounding and emotional trauma mm-hmm. is the only way you can do that is through safety Right. You know, if you're just going to say, I'm going to figure this out, I'm going to work it out. It's like, no, the mind can't do it. It's really the heart. It's the exactly. compassion. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so then when I, I do the diet, oh, sorry, go ahead. So when they do the diet process, I make sure that the adult client offers an invitation, offers a safe place, make it sacred, make it holy, make it whatever you want that makes it feel comforting and safe mm-hmm. to let the inner child come forward. And then when the adult, when the adult feels like it, to sit in the other chair and then see what happens. Don't force it. Don't try to control it. Right. And just being invitational because you you know the clients oftentimes been very surprised when the when the client when the inner child does show up or when it doesn't show up so it's it's whatever happens right and the thing about it is is that one you be patient two you make it safe and three you just let it go where it goes so if it doesn't happen that time we'll do it another time or right. practice on your own in between sessions so for me it's a process of invitation that is controlled by the inner child right. Right. And it just also sounds like, as you're saying, you can't force it, but then if nothing happens, you have to understand that you can't judge it either. So, yes, because if there's judgment, then there's lack of safety. So in creating safety, you can have no judgment. (laughs) They're directly opposing each other. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. But that sounds like a really good exercise because it also sounds like just um, the whole motion of moving from one point to the other is activating. Yes. Because you're changing energy mm-hmm. as you're as you're moving. And because I think a lot of these things are stored in your body, as you're moving, you're actually, you're bringing them up and, and mm-hmm. getting them unstuck from wherever they are being stored in your body. That, that's kind of what it sounds like to me. That's why I love it because it has, because it wasn't so many levels, but the thing about it that's most wonderful is, it's not a thinking process. So it is this, this um, somatic or embodiment priest, which I love because it doesn't require any special skills. Right. Just, just move from this chair to this chair and see what happens. <laughs> you know, exactly. it's, like, it's like, it's not, you don't have to do any mudras or mantras. You just simply just move from this chair to the other chair. You can't do it wrong, except if you just sit in the chair and don't move. Right. But just see what happens because again, it, if it happens, great. If it doesn't happen, it's great. Either way, and again, no, as you said, no judgment. It's about 
letting experience unfold. And with some of my clients, it does take two or three sessions to get to the point where they would actually feel that voice inside come forward. Right. And I tell you, when it's happened, the tears just flow. It's just such a joyful place because suddenly there's a reconnection between themselves and the inner child. They didn't realize they'd been disconnected for 20, 30, 40 years. Right. So when that comes together, it's such a reunification, which re-energizes their lives. So it's not just heal that relationship paradigm, but then suddenly that youthful energy becomes like, like a renewal energy. They start acting differently. So right. it's, it's wonderful. So, okay, because I know with some of the work that I do, like with past life regression and even, you know, on guided meditations and things like that, clients come back into the room and they're like, did I make that up? Was that real? <laughs> Was that even real? You know, was it, you know, was it just pretend? So do you ever get that kind of a reaction when somebody does this thing? It's like, was I making that whole thing up or... <laughs> Or well, do you not get that reaction because it is so visceral for them that they really know that it's real? I haven't had that happen with clients, but I've had it happen when I was in um, when I was learning this technique. Someone would ask that question, and the response I got, I heard back, was so wonderful. Was does it make a difference? Mm. <laughs> if you feel better, if something changes for you going forward, whether you made it up or it was real, it doesn't make a difference. Right. Right. That is actually, I love that. I really love that because it's almost like um, when they do the studies and they talk about, you know, if you want to get better at a sport and you're an athlete or something and you visualize yourself doing this thing over and over and over that your mind doesn't know the difference between you visualizing it and then you actually doing it. So I I love the way that they put that. It's like, well, does it matter? It's like... Exactly. It works, right? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Thank you for sharing that because I'm hoping that, you know, somebody is going to actually try that. Okay. Let's put it yeah, this yeah. way. Sophia, yes, I'm talking about myself in the third person, is going to oh, try that. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, see, I'm going to try that. thing also is, it's like, you know, it's okay to do this unsupervised. <laughs> you know? Because you can do it in your own time. Yeah, I mean, I love doing it with my clients because they love the support I provide when I do that. But you don't have to have somebody else doing it with you. Right. As long as you just make it safe again and you make it, un, you know, accepting whatever happens. That's the only really ground rules. Yeah. I guess if I were going to add to that, I would say if you're doing it on your own, journal it after you're done so that you can write down the experience that you had and what came up for you so that if you need to revisit it, there it is. Because yeah. I mean, obviously you can do the exercise as many times as you want to, but again, it's almost like looking at history and moving forward. So if you write it down, you can see what came up. And then if you do it again, see if something different comes up. Oh, I have a bunch of things about how to release the energy too. Like we're, we're journaling, we're freeform writing and burning, burning what you write and stuff. There's also things you can do with that too. So there's lots of, there's yeah. lots of things out there. Yeah, definitely. Because that's the thing is that once you've made peace for the history you don't need to keep carrying it around anymore right see yeah. and you brought up a thing that I love to do I love burning stuff it's like no I'm not a pyro <laughs> not a pyro but... just to be clear just to be clear yeah <laughs> just <laughs> but I do love burning stuff because there's kind of this release of the energy of it when you burn it and yeah. then you know sometimes it's like okay this is trash and I will throw it out or sometimes I will bury it and return it to the earth you know, so it can transmute into something better. But yeah, 
love the I love the burning. Well, so in context of that, just to explain a little piece of the puzzle, because again, from my skills I've learned, is when before you get to the place where you can have a real dialogue with your inner child, sometimes you just have innate fury or ups or even really emotional wounding carried from when you were very young. And before you get to the articulation of that voice, there's the emotional um, casing around it. Mm. So oftentimes what I do with clients I have them do is if there's real visceral stuff inside, I have them, especially if they had abuse, something like that, that was really painful. Mm. I have them journal, or I should say, excuse me, not journal, wrong word. I have them write out on paper they can dispose of, so not their journal. Great. Not on computer, but on paper. Mm-hmm. And if you already want to get into the inner child, use their non-dominant hand. Oh. It tends to tap into the unconscious more easily than a conscious hand. Conscious, Interesting. Uh, hand. The thing about that is because when you're writing it down, because you don't want to read it again. Okay. When you're writing stuff out, it's, it's, like, it's like, like throwing up in a way, but just energetically. You're writing it out, writing it out to get it out of your system. Mm-hmm. And when you do it, it's such a powerful tool because it's a way of expulsion of that energy. But you're putting it on paper, not to be read, but to be disposed of. So you, you keep doing it and doing it. And what happens is you do it to a point which could take two minutes or half an hour, depending on how far you are in the process. Uh And then she shifts from upset, woundedness, anger, whatever it is, into something more compassionate, even sadness. But when the mood shifts into something more gentle, more compassionate, that's when you stop writing. Okay. Now you can, if you want to, on a different paper, write something with your dominant hand that's coming up. You may even write, you know, forgiveness or, or, or poetry or something else comes up that's really wonderful. But what you wrote earlier, the non-dominant hand is like, that's complete. Okay. So when you've done the whole process, you take the paper you wrote on that you then crumple up, put it, put it in a fire safe container, like, you know, a barrel or in a fireplace, some of that, and then you burn it then. Mm-hmm. You may want to say a prayer or a benediction or just say thank you very much or, or good riddance or whatever you want to do to allow that to be released and gone. I like, I like the fire work as well because with fire, it is gone. If you bury it in the earth, it's still in there. And part of you goes, it's still in the earth. So I like the idea of burning it because then it totally is disintegrated into ash. So it's over with. Right, right. Yep. Pyro. <laughs> Not pyro. <laughs> pyro. Effective, disp- effective disposal of the, of the toxic energy. Yes. There yes, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So when I was looking at some of your work, there were a couple of things that came up that I wanted to ask about. So one of the things is, how do you make room for love? How do you make room for love? Well, the funny part of that is, is there's nowhere love isn't. So we make an assumption that we make room for it in the sense. Mm-hmm. Because like, if, if, if you're making room for love, what was in the space beforehand? Mm. Oftentimes it's, it's negativity or... Either, either guilt or shame or blame, something like that that is really internalized stuff that is going on in the world or that we had in past experiences. And um, then come back to you. She was used to be married to John Gray many, many years ago. She created Making Love Work in LA. And the name will come back to me in a second, but she was talking, I'll just do what she was talking about. She said, there's thing about that when we get wounded in relationships, when we get hurt, mm-hmm. um, we tend, it's like we imagine that we have an ocean or, or a sea of love that is available okay. to us. But when we get hurt and wounded, so we start putting icebergs on top of the ocean. So mm. what happens is, as we get more wounded, we don't heal those wounds. We have less and less of the ocean open to be loved from. Oh, okay. So in the sense, what we do is we have less ability to love. So when we get into the next relationship, we love a little bit less than we did before, a little bit less than that, a little bit less, and so on. Mm. So to make room for love is to do the healing work because we're carrying that that ice 
which is really the upset feelings or the woundedness or the past wounds that were never healed. Okay. So when you start doing the inner work to love on yourself and forgive yourself, because most people, love is out there, not in here. Right. Start doing the work to heal and love ourselves. Then we have more room to love ourselves and other people. Barbara Angelis, there it was. Barbara Angelis is the first one I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> and and that, just, that just makes so much sense, right? Because especially when you look at what society and what society deems love and all of that, it's all outside yeah. of you. And you have to, you know, looking for love in all the wrong places, <laughs> looking, looking, you know? So yeah. you're constantly bombarded with all this stuff that says you got to go find it out there somewhere. <laughs> and meanwhile, you've got this 10 foot wall built up around you and you could have found it if a person could scale the wall, but the wall is so high that they can't even get in, right. much less, you know, to love because you haven't let that wall down and done all the inner work that you needed to do in order for that wall to come down. So and most people, frankly, are so caught up in their own stuff, the, the wounds, the baggage, the pain, the upset feelings that. Someone loves them, the love can't get through there anyway. It's almost like you're wearing an armor plate shielding, so you're being protected from being hurt. So the right. problem is that the hurt feelings, which is to say the past wounding, is in the same avenue or the same channels that the love has to come through. Right. And I think that's really one hurt. thing. Sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt, but one of the things that people don't seem to understand too is that you can't turn off. It's like an, if you turn on a faucet, you can't just make some water run out. It's all right. coming out, right? <laughs> exactly. Turn it off. Nothing's coming out yeah. <laughs> unless you have a slow leak or something. But, you know, when it comes to your life, that's, it's certainly not a slow leak. Yeah. So if you turn oh, off from yeah. Yeah, you don't want to get hurt, then you're also not going to be able to let anything in. Right. Right. Yeah. And then, okay, so I saw another phrase from you um on one of your uh courses and it said that you need to escape into romance when you're looking for a relationship so what does that mean is that another internal thing or is that something else <laughs> well the thing about what well, that this way we have such a belief system about how we find love so external Mm -hmm. sometimes we've got to escape from that perception into a different reality which is truly where real life is mm. we get caught up in this paradigm but go this way this way and this way but the truth is if you just go over here <laughs> then it's a whole different place to play and so the idea about i mean escaping to romance in a lot of ways also is kind of the idea of, of the romantic idea about you know escaping and having fun and going away and having love that way mm -hmm. but for me it comes back to that when you start to getting out of the wiring that we have about what we should do, what we have to do, what's supposed to work, and all the all the judgments, and we move into a place of actually self-loving first, mm -hmm. so we can love somebody else. Is where the real freedom comes from. So I think escape. Maybe I may have to rewrite that because escape isn't the right word for me. It's more about elevate. Mm. So okay, yeah. So thank you for reminding me of that. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a question about dating now, right? Mm -hmm. So now that, what is like the best way to ease into dating now that the COVID restrictions are being lifted? Because <laughs> before, you know, you had whatever you were doing two and a half years ago, 
then you have COVID when it's like, I don't even want to see you. Like if you're six feet away from me, <laughs> not trying to meet you right yeah, now. Interesting experience. Yeah. An interesting experience. <laughs> right. So now that COVID restrictions are lifting and it's like, yeah, you can sit beside me now. <laughs> like what, how, how do you ease into the dating world again outside? <laughs> well, a few things, one of which is, um, it's almost because now you've been released from the, from the, closed internal experience the last two and a half years don't rush out quickly and grab somebody you know it's like take your time first of all <laughs> <laughs> but secondly as i said all the way through is, is you got to know what you really want mm-hmm. you know and again because i said earlier about you don't want to be like driving in the looking in the rearview mirror driving away from what you don't want because that's going to drive you into a ditch basically so you're in a really bad relationship so really focusing on what you really want that will fulfill you in a sense it's like you know talk about the red flags in relationships what you don't want well, what are your green flags? What is it you really do want to have that the requirements? Start with that as a starting point. It may be like five, maybe 10 things at most, mm-hmm. which are things like they must be, you know, must be maybe monogamous. They eat healthy. Um, they're willing to go travel with me if traveling is one of your things. Right. Like make clear what those things are and then build mm-hmm. from there. Because if you start with that, at least it starts to, uh, I won't say narrow down, but it refines your searching criteria. Okay. Because if you just say, I'll go with anybody, well, anybody can show up. <laughs> right. <Anybody> you want. <laughs> so, but let me ask you this, though, in relation to knowing what you want, because sometimes yes. you don't know exactly what you want. So do you think it's important sometimes to get what you don't want in order to refine what you do want? Not focus on what you don't want, but if it shows up, it shows up. But then you're like, hmm, I didn't really think about this one. So now that I've seen that it has showed up in my life, not so keen on it. So, but I do want this. Yeah. So a couple of things on that. One, as I said earlier about the review mirror, that's the thing is if you keep looking back at what you don't want, it's like the way the universe works. Where you say you don't want something or do want something, something still shows up. Right. So that isn't going to work if you keep focusing on what you don't want. So what I do in my online course I have with my clients, the first step actually is to look at what you don't want, what didn't work in the past, what you hate, what was horrible, Make a list of what that is. Be absolutely clear and transparent what all that is. Mm-hmm. Now go through every single one of them and flip the script. Mm-hmm. Write the reverse of that. Okay. So if that person was always was cheating all the time, the inverse of that might be monogamous, like okay. loyal to me and that sort of thing. So then you start making the list of what you do want that is the, the direct opposite of what you didn't want. Mm-hmm. So then you can focus where you want to go. So again, you make the list of what you do want that does line up. Instead of saying, you know, I don't want somebody who smokes, you say, I want somebody who's healthy. So you flip the script, so to speak. Right. So that way you don't drag around or focus on so the things that show up. In the, then the other part, again, let me say this again from the early part. If you notice the same thing keeps showing up or what you don't want, that's where the deeper work comes up. Mm-hmm. If it's okay. repeating itself, that's a clear indication. You've got some sort of magnet in the area pulling them in. Right. So there's your lesson, so to speak, because, okay, if this, is, if this keeps showing up, there's clearly something I need to learn in this neighborhood because it's almost like I keep getting smacked with it. So I need to address it. And sometimes it's also is a repeat cycle of an internal memory we're still carrying. We haven't healed yet. So it may not just be a lesson. It might just be a rewiring piece again, mm, reprogramming okay. piece, so to speak. So it could be either one. And that's why you get a coach. So you can figure out which one it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I do, I, there are two more things that I have that I really want to touch on. Mm-hmm. So. 
One of them is what are your thoughts on codependency in relationships and how we can break that pattern? Because again, it comes back to patterns and noticing what's coming up. But codependency, I mean, that's a word that we hear quite Mm -hmm. a bit. And I don't know that everybody really gets what it is. And then also understands that it shows up in conspicuous ways, but very inconspicuous ways as well. (laughs) So you got four hours we can talk about it. No. (laughs) I mean, I I have a video series on my website called Cracking the Codependency Code with a friend of mine. Um, which is which is a teaser, but basically, codependency is one of the way I learned it. Is basically, is codependency is one of three opportunities in the way we interact with other people. Mm-hmm. We come from a culture that 60, 70 years ago, eighty years ago, was a very codependent culture, particularly in relationship. You know, back then, women were really dependent on the men that would save them from their family, like take them out and get them, you know, marry them and move their own house. Mm-hmm. Women didn't have their own independence yet, generally speaking. When the sexual revolution happened, women basically got their independence. So in the 60s to 70s, women started getting their own jobs, got their own cars, got their own money, had their own bank accounts, had their own place to live. I mean, 1971 is where women got credit cards for the first time. So it's mm-hmm. not that long ago. So right. we've all first stages. But then after that point, because women became independent because the codependent piece wasn't working. The evolution we're going to now is what I call interdependent, is what codependency can evolve into. Because codependency, um, to use my favorite movie quote from Jerry Maguire, You Complete Me, <laughs> is an absolute lie because right. <laughs> nobody's incomplete. But we have this framing, and because it's so romantic, it's like, oh, they complete me. It's like, no, <laughs> you don't want to play that game. Right. But the codependent piece is because we think somehow that we're not complete with somebody else. Until somebody else, like, you know, in my book, it's about relationships, not 50-50, because it don't make somebody whole. We are already whole. Right. Relationships are 100-100. But we keep believing that, you know, when they make, when they show up, they make me happy. The trap of that is, is that when they don't do what we want, we get unhappy because of what they did, which means they have the power. Right. I talk about it in one of my talks about how it's like the puppet master, that basically our feelings are based on what they do or don't do. That's the real pain of codependency. And really what comes down to is that we forget that we're autonomous, whole, complete beings ourselves. Exactly. The challenge is that when we're in a relationship, we don't know how to do the relationship and still maintain that wholeness. Right. So You don't want to lose yourself in the relationship. You still want two whole people in that relationship to make a third entity, which is the relationship. (laughs) Right. So that's 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 the conversation about interdependence because interdependence is independence plus in a sense. It's like we're whole and complete, and it's things that we can give our partner they can't do for themselves and vice versa, which we love to add to each other. But it's a much healthier way of 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 um, intermingling our energy, so to speak, without being so vacating of our own responsibility that we're not even being whole to our partner. Right. Because again, codependency is playing less than we are as wholeness, and so we end up being this um, needy energy. I mentioned before about when I was the white knight. Mm-hmm. When I was being the white knight, I was being so codependent because I needed people to save. And the, and the women I was saving needed me to save them. That was totally enmeshed codependency. Right. It sucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. it sucks energy. It's just a lot. <laughs> right. And nobody wins ultimately. Yeah. I mean, there is a there can be a power struggle. I mean, to be honest, some of the psychological profiles are like, you know, narcissism, soci- soci- sociopathy, sociopathy. 
are premised on codependency because they need somebody they can actually take the energy from, like a vampire. And so in a way, right. the violation comes from controlling somebody else. That's codependency in its worst case. So there's a spectrum of codependency. But ultimately, when we discover that we can enjoy our relationship with somebody else without needing something from them to make it okay, or right. we don't need validation, mm. I mean, it's okay once in a while to say, you know, I'm just feeling down today. Can you validate me? That's a very conscious way of saying, I want to be codependent just for this minute. Please make me feel good. And when we're complete, <laughs> we move on. Right. Now that's 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 conscious codependency so to speak but it's only in small doses good that 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 actually is um a little bit of a different way of looking at it than i've seen it put forth in the past but i like that because just like everything else there's a spectrum right and mm-hmm. it's going to show up differently for different people depending on what the situation is right. you know so but that is a story for another day because you spent a ton of time on that. But let's talk about your book. Tell us a little bit about your book and where it can be found. So that book, I, I'm still having a hard time believing I'm an author. Um, even though the book came out in 2013, um, it, was, it was unplanned. Um, basically, what happened was when I started really hanging out my shingle to be a relationship coach and do the work I do, although that term is still a misnomer for me now, I was writing out on social media what I believed. I'd write out little like paragraphs, like, you know, this is a principle I believe about relationship. You should do this, this, and this, and this. And I made a list of these and saved into a Word document. Mm-hmm. I had about 60 of these things that I basically was sitting there going, what am I going to do with these? Right. And I had this really wonderful experience where I had this little still, still small voice, a little quiet voice in me. It said, write a book. And I would just ignore it. And I oh. looked at this list and go, I'll do something. Maybe I'll write, a, a, I'll, I'll write something I can give to my clients or I'll, I'll make a workshop out of it or something. Uh-huh. And this voice kept saying, write a book. And it did this for about a week, maybe maybe two weeks, where the voice would just quietly and calmly say, write the book. And I was like, finally giving up fighting it. I said, okay, fine, how do I do this? Okay. Like internally, I went, turned to the voice and said, okay, how do I do this? And then it showed me. Because what I'd done is I'd written the stem sentences or the opening opening paragraph for every single chapter I needed to write. All I did do was explain it. Okay. That's easy. And plus, I had all the other bits and pieces. I just started doing some self-publishing, printing for other clients. Mm-hmm. So I already knew how to do certain pieces. So all I had to do was, you know, expand on it. So I ended up had, with fifty principles. Um, the title was something else, but then I had a mistake with my with my um, ISBN barcode. I was getting. I, I did it the wrong way, so I had to get rid of that title. So the subtitle, which was Fifty Ways to Love Your Lover," became mm-hmm. the main title. Oh wow! So, just, I mean, the, the little. Like like spirit winks, like those God winks that showed up, like little little thing there, little thing here, were such gifts to remind me. And so the book came together very quickly. I mean, I wrote the first draft in six weeks. Oh wow, that's fast. And then I got scared, and oh. I put it off for a year. <laughs> Get out of here! <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I was, I said I need to go back and edit it and proof it, but not now. And then you know I did that like several times over several months, and I found other things to do. So I ended up putting it off. And then about a year later, I was like, I need to put this thing together. So I finally did it and released it. So it's available on Amazon. Um, the soft cover version's out. The Kindle version, for me, the layout sucks because Kindle does a weird thing of formatting. And I had the book laid out a certain way. It works beautifully in print. Mm-hmm. But in Kindle, it just messes everything up because the fonts don't work the way I want it to. So personally, I'm biased about the, getting the soft cover. On my website, I have an ebook version, which is a PDF version. You get that's cheaper if you want to do that, if you want a digital version. Okay, and so wait, before you go on, what's the website? 
yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you for asking. <laughs> um, to make it easy, my website is my name. So barryselby.com. Okay. And just as a sidebar, all my social media except for Instagram is Barry Selby, whether it's YouTube, Facebook, Clubhouse, Twitter, it's all Barry Selby, which is easy to find on Instagram because my original account got hacked. It's the real Barry Selby. So I had to become the real Barry Selby there. So my website is barryselby.com. Um, there's a, if you go to barryselby.com slash book, or you just go look for it on the navigation, you can find it there. That's the PDF version. You can get linked straight through Amazon, or you just go to Amazon itself and go look for my book there. Either look for my name or look 50 Ways to Love Your Lover, the number 50, okay. and you find it that way. Wow. Yeah. So before we end, can mm-hmm. we have one way to love our lover? <laughs> <laughs> well, we covered it a little bit before is really to talk about being in authentic whole relationship is to restart loving yourself because the trap of codependency is we don't love ourselves first. So take five minutes a day, look in the mirror and tell yourself you love yourself. Do that for a month and see what happens because then when you go out and date, you'll be much less needy of the other person. Right. You'll be much happier in who you are. So you'll be choosing at a higher level in your relationship dating choices. Nice. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here with me today. This has been well, fun for me. <laughs> Good. <laughs> <laughs> I love you and I love the work that you do. Thank so, you. So, yeah, it's been really fun for me. And hopefully it's been fun for everybody else. And guys, don't forget to really listen to this because there's something in here that can really help you. Okay. <laughs> You'll know what it is if you heard the whole thing. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> All right, Barry. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.